Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Animales humanos, animales humanos, animales, animales, animales humanos, animales humanos, animales, Hello and welcome to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, rewilding, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. The program is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia. We're streamed live via the 3CR website, and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR and the Freedom of Species website. And all podcasts are available via iTunes. I will be presenting an interview. My name is Roy Taylor. I'll be presenting an interview with Donnelly Patman. Donnelly runs a group for the love of wildlife, and she has done some amazing work recently doing some political lobbying that has led to the banning of importation of lion trophies into Australia, and these tri- trophies were the parts, the body parts, of shot lions that have been killed by canned hunting in South Africa. This is Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt of this great country, from Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Kootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats, that's independent radio, that's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species, I said the freedom of species. You know what to do, donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals and 3CR, wishing your species all the best. So we're going to go to an interview now with Donnelly Patman from the group For the Love of Wildlife. And Donnelly did some amazing work lobbying for a ban on the importation of lion trophies. Now this interview was recorded a few weeks ago, just on the eve of the announcement by uh, Environment Minister Greg Hunt. And also in the interview you'll hear that I discussed the, at the time, upcoming duck hunting season in Victoria. Unfortunately that season is now going ahead. And native wild wildlife, native water birds are being shot this weekend out on the waterlands of Victoria. And if you can do anything to support the campaign against duck shooting, the coalition against duck shooting, please get in contact with them.
I'm here with Donnelly Patman from the group For the Love of Wildlife. Hello, Donnelly. Hi, Roy. How are you? I'm very well. You are very happy at the moment because you've had some good news from the results of one of your campaigns. So tell me about the good news. Well, on Friday night, the 13th of March at around 7pm, Greg Hunt announced that he was banning the importation of lion trophies and body parts into Australia in a response to the cruel and barbaric practice of canned hunting. What is canned hunting then? Uh, Canned hunting, uh, for those that don't know, is um, lions being, or sorry, animals being bred specifically uh, for hunting, mostly lions and a very cruel um, practice. It's what you could imagine the worst of a, like a puppy mill um, using wildlife, uh, commoditizing it. So these animals are hand reared. The cubs are taken away from the mother a few days after birth, which then forces the lioness back immediately back into estrus, which is very stressful on her. Uh, volunteers are then uh, believing that they're hand-rearing uh, orphaned cubs, and uh, these cubs are raised. Uh, they then go, uh, when they become older, they're then used for lion walking experience with tourists. And then when they're too big, they go back into... Uh, the situation, the, the farmed or the, the caged areas to be kept until they're bought online. Um, and the attraction for canned hunting uh, with hunters is that it's a very uh, cost-effective, efficient and guaranteed kill. So instead of spending days hunting down a wild lion, they can fly in in the morning, They uh, can pretend they're out in the wilderness and uh, these animals are usually drugged or baited, relocated to give you an idea that you're hunting uh, where they've really just been uh, put in a situation. And they often, because they've been humanised, they come up to the jeep thinking that they're being fed or uh, they have no fear. So it's a very cruel practice. And what countries are we talking about? Where is this going on? Uh, specifically South Africa. Uh, it ho- happens also in the US, but um, my campaign's been working with people in Africa and uh, predominantly uh, there's something like 95% of hunting in South Africa is canned or captive bred hunting. And that's presumably the name that they themselves would call it, captive bred hunting. Is yeah. that a phrase they use? Well, what we're finding now is because... Um, it. it like some years ago, um, there was actually a, a legal um, debate and they tried to ban it and um, it was overturned in the High Court and what we're finding with this uh, highlight on how um, barbaric this practice is is that they're using other terms to kind of blur the lines. Um, so whether it's captive breeding and whether it's canned hunting, um, basically anywhere you pay uh, a reserve to go and hunt, this is the practice that they're, they're using. If there's hunting and it's on a reserve, it will be captive bred. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, mostly. Like I said, more than 95% of farms in South Africa are canned hunting, hunting reserves. So when did this practice start then? As this has been going on for some time. Yeah, um, Ian Mickler, who's an internationally uh, recognised and respected conservationist, has been uh, investigating this industry for the last 15, 20 years. Uh, 
um, it used to be even more hideous than it is um, now. But when he started raising awareness and uh, shining the spotlight on this, they started um, you know, cleaning up their act for the if that's such a thing. Um, but even in its current situation, it's still incredibly cruel in that, uh, you know, caging a wild at heart predator um, is is just the worst thing that you can imagine. You say they've cleaned their act up and it was much worse. In what way was it much worse than this? Well, they used to keep these lions in even worse conditions than that I've witnessed. Um, And they used to also put them in in very small enclosures. So they would shoot them while they were caged. Um, What they're doing now in the guise of it being a hunt is that these animals are released either on the day or the day before. Um, and like I said, they're either baited or drugged. So, And also a, a, the habit of a relocated animal is to stick to a fence line. So it's not very difficult to find them. If you know, So it doesn't matter how the reserves kind of uh, try and make it look as you know, authentic as a, as a real hunt. It actually is just staged. And uh, one of the things I've heard recently is that they've gone into the practice of telling the the shooter to aim at the shoulder of a lion or lioness. Purely so they get, you know, so the video is more exciting. And then they run home saying that they've uh, shot a rogue animal, that it was, uh, you know, a threat to a village. Make up, you know, incredible stories to kind of qualify why they're, they're doing this. Are these stories given to the hunter or are they, is the hunter 100% in knowledge that this is candor and in, and, and he's just told what story to tell or, or the hunter comes up with the story? Um, there's a combination. Some people are aware of what they're um, participating in and others aren't. And they just think that they have bought a lion online and they're going to on a safari hunt like the good old colonial days. Um, and so they're fed a myth. Sometimes they drive around the reserve for a few hours thinking they're going miles and miles into the bush. Um, the lengths to which these people, these unscrupulous operators go to are quite quite mind-blowing. Your group, For the Love of Wildlife? It's a, a charity which I set up. I found that when I started working with Jason Wood, um, handing over my interior design card wasn't really cutting it. So <laughs> I, okay. uh, I gave away my, my corporate life last year and have uh, focused solely on uh, conservation efforts and uh, canned hunting being the, uh, the, the main focus of For the Love of Wildlife. So you're basically working full-time on this, these kind of projects at the moment, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Since, oh, wow. Uh, I've been doing this work probably uh, specifically the last uh, two years and then um, really focused since June last year when I uh, left the corporate world and self-funded the work and I've been working extremely hard over the last 12 months to make sure that this, uh, this ban um, came to fruition before we go into the details of, of the campaign you've done, what brought you to working on this topic and what brought you to animal activism in the first place? Well, I've always been an animal lover. Like my family will tell you, um, even as a little girl, when we went on holidays to the Murian Islands in north of uh, Western Australia, just off Exmouth, my, my dad's a, a marine engineer and worked for a big fishing group. So we would go in on 
prawn trawlers to these remote islands. And as a little girl, I'd be on the beach crying when he and his friends would be riding turtles, telling them they were interfering with nature. So I think I've had an innate love of wildlife um, just really in my in my genes. And so in 2011, I went to South Africa and attended a workshop with Andrew Harvey, who is a author, scholar, poet, mystic, uh, and the founder of Sacred Activism. And in uh, South Africa, he held this workshop at uh, the White Lion Protection Trust in Timbavati. And uh, I met Linda Tucker, and on the first morning out when we went out to see the White Lions, um, we came across the Pride, and with the vehicle approaching them, they sat upright. And I locked eyes with one of the males, and that experience um, basically brought, like I was just so, I was sobbing, I was just brought to such, uh, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. They were so magnificent. And then when we returned back to camp, um, Linda Tucker talked about canned hunting and how, you know, rare white lions are due to their beauty. They are the target of poachers and hunters. And when she told me what threats they were facing, I was just so outraged. I've never felt anything quite like it. It was like a primal rage. And I was so, I knew in that moment I could do serious harm to anybody who presented themselves as somebody that perpetrated these crimes against white lions. And uh, Andrew Harvey looked at me and said, you know, now that you're in your indignant rage or, you know, this despair, your grief, um, I want you to transform that into passionate, sacred action. And those words really, like it was just one of those pivotal moments that like I'd been struck by lightning and um, I just, you know, he said to transform that rage into action was so pivotal and he called it coming from when you're so heartbroken in that moment, it's, it's like acting from the sacred heart. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's the foundation of what he also um, teaches, which is sacred activism. It's about going out into the world um, and not, you know, apathy isn't an it isn't a possibility when you when you act from that place. And you, uh, you know, I, my experience is that I've been fully energized. I am. Uh, I feel very guided. Um, I very much relate. Uh, uh, to my spiritual practices, and um, I, I always take my intuition and my guidance um, over and above anything that may present as logical. And I think that's been some of the success of the way that I've found a crack um, through. I think um, I remember when I first mentioned to people that I was working with Jason Wood and the Liberal Party. And um, I was kind of laughed at and, you know, told that, you know, good luck with that. Um, but I think in that, you know, the results have proven um, I've been, you know, I, I'm really still, start, I suppose, a bit stunned um, that I've managed to get to this piece and, and we've managed to do a global first and we've had, in, you know, fantastic support from both Greg Hunt and Jason Wood and um, I'm deeply grateful. Uh, do you want to talk more about Andrew Harvey? Um, yeah, if you like. Okay. This And I suppose the experience at the White Lion Trust and uh, why I feel specifically with lions, um, symbolically lions are the king of the jungle. They are 
a representation of courage, bravery. Uh, they've been symbols of royalty. And the white lions in Timbavati are considered by the Shangan people to be children of the sun god. They believe that they are spiritual um, beings that are here to assist us in our transformation and in raising consciousness. Um, and so this experience that I had specifically with uh, the white lions really did, it was, it was really um, a, very, a very deeply spiritual moving piece for me. Um, I actually believe that one of the lionesses guides the work and she is actually the CEO of For the Love of Wildlife. Um, Andrew Harvey has become a very dear friend because of the work that I've uh, chosen to do. Uh, when he is in Melbourne, he often stays with me. And uh, Andrew is in one of the top 100 people changing the face of the planet. And uh, he talks about uh, humanity being on this precipice, that if we don't take deep, compassionate, sacred action, that we really are at a, at a, a pinnacle place in our evolution. This is whether we choose um, to evolve consciousness or whether we choose to stay in the phase of uh, what would you call it? It's um, consumerism, uh, judgment, blame. We don't take responsibility for our actions or our emotional bodies uh, and we are just continuing a cycle of abuse and neglect and uh, disrespect of the planet. So his belief is that if we are to, you know, shift and move to kindness and compassion, firstly, it's our all of our responsibility to address our emotional agendas and our wounding uh, so that we don't project that onto the world. And part of uh, being an animal act activist or advocate is that I have a very strong belief that if we were capable of cleaning up our own shadow, we wouldn't project this onto our beloved animals in any way or form. And it's one of the things I've noted too in amongst uh, different groups is how much people project onto each other, like the judgments, the, the blame, the criticism. It would just be so um, amazing in my eyes if we could take, uh, I don't know, a leap of faith or a, a leap in uh, our, the way that we behave. And I've often been, um, it's an interesting thing is that um, I think my experience and with meeting Greg Hunt, I, uh, last October I went in to Parliament with uh, Ian Mickler and the economist uh, Roderick Campbell from the Australia Institute. And in that meeting I just could, I had this sense of, um, the way people are part of a system that no longer serves us, and I, I talk about the political process, uh, how preference votes work, the way that people are kind of constricted or constrained by the party. And um, I came out of there really believing that uh, Greg Hunt was a really decent guy and um, he so wants to do the right thing and... and you know, that belief and um, my, I suppose, trust in him and respect, um, I, I don't know if that's had a, has contributed to his decision. But um, And both with working with Jason is, you know, just being highly professional, 
knowing that these people are just constantly criticised. And even the comments after Friday night's announcement, it's so difficult for people just to be able to identify that we've just had a momentous shift in consciousness about animal welfare from the Australian government. And yet it's so hard to get people to really applaud what has just happened. And that to me is such a sad indictment on how we are in Australia and our tall poppy syndrome is that we should be saying to the government, this is an amazing achievement. And I think if we were able to do that they and offer the support that they need is that more would be done. And I know that both Greg Hunt and Jason Wood are now the target of hate campaigns. They are being targeted by the shooters groups and by the Fishers and Shooters Party. I'm aware of some of the things that I've seen on Facebook and um, in the media. And I, it just appalls me. I think it's just so shocking. And so those two now have to bat in the next coming weeks at Parliament, um, a barrage of assault from, and it's very personal. Um, even on Friday night, I know that there were extra police because Jason Wood has had um, specific um, threats against him. So I, I just think that's part of, uh, of moving forward is to be able to um, thank Whoever does any, it doesn't matter how small the job, is that we need to start praising rather than attacking. Tell listeners about the announcement exactly on Friday night. Um, okay, so Greg Hunt has um, stopped the importation of lion trophies and body parts, and the reason for that is a direct response to canned hunting. And he believes that by taking the incentive away from trophy hunters is that will... Um, somehow take the the pressures off those that want to go there to shoot. But they still can go and shoot. They just can't bring the carcasses back, yes? Yeah, that's right. And so the the response has been, like, if if you're aware of some of the the hunting uh, Facebook pages and websites, they're actually hysterical. And that's exactly the thing. They have, the government hasn't said no more hunting. They've actually just said, you know what, to to bring back a body part and hang it on the wall is actually unacceptable. And the thing with canned hunting too is that the the level of cruelty is that they often will shoot the animal in the body and it can take up to a dozen bullets um, to shoot a lion and that's because they want to preserve the head. So it's not a quick kill. So what's the background to this success? Presumably it's not just yourself that's been involved in this. There's been other campaigners as well, yeah? Um, yes, I think there's been groups like I4, Four Paws, um, and many others. There's Campaign Against Canned Hunting in South Africa. There's Lion Aid in the UK. I know that Ian Mickler is heading to the European Parliament on Monday and will present and be able to uh, share Australia's news. Um, it's been a long campaign by a lot of people, uh, I know, for at least 15 to 20 years. Um, canned hunting also contributes to the lion bone trade, which is in response to the lack of uh, tr- tiger bones for Asia. So Vietnam and China are demanding uh, more and more um, for their medic- medicinal purposes. And um, so there's just such a, you know, lions are seriously under threat. And uh, Greg Hunt's announcement is basically treating lions as if they're on Appendix 1 of the CITES uh, list 
um, which is just such a, a great and, you know, courageous step by the Australian government. Oh, no. Freeze, fellas, you're under arrest. What do I do? Um, call a lawyer? Hello, Fitzroy Legal Service. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if you are arrested, you should make a no-comment interview. A no-comment interview? Yeah. Well, how do I do that? You say... No, no comment. comment! To everything? Yes, except your name and address. Every other question you should answer with no comment. So if he asks me what colour my shoes are, I say no comment? Yes, you say... No, no comment. comment! To everything? Yes, say... No, no comment. comment! If you are arrested, exercise your right to contact a lawyer and say no comment. Fitzroy Legal Service proudly supporting 3CR. This is Freedom of Species, 855am 3CR Community Radio. We are listening to an interview with Donnelly Patman from the group For the Love of Wildlife. Donnelly's campaigning has been instrumental in the introduction of a ban on the importation of body parts of lions. And most of these lions are being killed in canned hunting, typically in South Africa. Do people go to South Africa for hunting animals other than lions? Yes, they hunt all sorts of things. You can you can look at these websites and you can hunt something like an impala for a couple of hundred dollars or a warthog. You can hunt anything. You can hunt rhino. That's how, you know, ridiculous it is. When rhino are on the precipice of extinction, they're still farming them um, for for hunting. So... The conservation con is that hunters have been using this myth that their uh, dollars are truly uh, contributing to the conservation of, in, in Africa, which is not actually true. A quarter of a percent of the GDP is all that hunting offers. The other part of it is that they will tell you that they are contributing to local economies and again that's not true these uh, reserves are owned by private operators they use australian volunteers well they use volunteers from around the world to um, staff these reserves and so they don't even employ locals can i just stop you there why would anyone volunteer for canned hunting farms that seems a bit bizarre yeah, well, um, the reality is that it's the conservation con. They set themselves up and uh, lure volunteers believing that they're uh, contributing to a conservation reserve in raising orphaned cubs. So these cubs are actually being stolen off the mothers and they think that these are just have appeared, <laughs> you know, magic. But the reality is once a lion has been humanised or human imprinted, it can never be rewilded. Um, and also the inbreeding in these farms is so ridiculous. Um, the other threat is that they hunt down wild lions to replenish the genetics. So while a lot of people will say, oh, canned hunting is fantastic because it takes the pressure off wild lions, it's actually very far from the truth. There are something like 8,000 lions in captivity in South Africa alone. What campaigning were you involved in to get this to go through? Um, I've just been supporting and giving Jason Wood as much uh, evidence, documentation, video evidence, and so the last 12 months have really been, I've almost been Jason Wood's PA, 
And then at night, about four o'clock, South Africa comes online. And so I'll be working with them from four till 10. And then the next day, feeding information through Jason and, and seriously just keeping up you know, trying to keep pressure on the press, trying to inform um, people in Australia about the practice because canned hunting, you know, most people have never heard of it. Um, so it's a, you know, we've been edu- trying to educate groups like travel agencies and volunteer groups and um, it's been an international campaign. Uh, friends of mine in South Africa have been really generous in basically being my mentors. So it's been a very fast learning curve. But now I feel like along with them that we've really got a handle on on what's really happening and the level of corruption and blindsidedness that these hunting groups have been running at. And um, I can only imagine that's why we've now got a massive campaign in Australia I would imagine FASER, which is the Professional Hunters and Shooters Association in South Africa, Safari Club International in the US and Dallas Safari Club would be feeling very uncomfortable right now about Australia's stand. I think they believe that Australia taking a moral decision like this will have great influence on, around the world, just like our stand on whaling. And I really look forward to other countries coming on board and making the same statement. So when... Uh, Greg Hunt made the announcement. Was this framed as a conservation or an animal welfare or was there some other rationale for making that ban on the import? No, I think it was made on a moral and ethical position. He's got the science and the economic data to back him as well. So the position is really that, you know, I think Greg Hunt has stated in the 21st century there's no place for this level of evil, and like he said, not on his watch. However, being a bit of a sceptic, I can't help thinking that this ban is purely for lions because they are enigmatic, iconic animals. Uh, The ban doesn't apply to less favoured animals such as impala, etc. So there isn't a moral argument for singling out lions in particular, is there? Well... The reason he's, he's gone and uh, made the announcement about lions is that lions are the most lucrative in this equation. So starting with the one that's being abused and commoditized the most, in saying that, Jason Wood has stated that he wants all of the animals listed on the import list on CITES from 2010 to be addressed and Greg Hunt has chosen to do each animal individually. So this won't be the end, this is just the beginning. What's the rationale for doing each animal individually rather than listing them in one go? Um, I think because the hunting lobby group is so powerful and so elitist that there's enormous pressure on Greg Hunt to at least somehow, I don't know, somehow allow their, you know, the recreational side of hunting, if you like. I can't answer that on his behalf, but I think the other part that's happening also in South Africa with these game reserves, or not game reserves, sorry, with the canned hunting industry, is they've started um, breeding like mutant animals, like there's a golden gnu, which is never, it doesn't exist, or crossbreeding tigers and lions to create rare and um, exotic species. So we're talking about psychopathic behaviour, really. 
Yes, it would seem so. So I'm I'm interested in how you've managed to be so successful. You say that you're working with Jason Wood, the politician, and he's the MP in Latrobe, and I believe is that the electorate that you live in? Is that yes. correct? So did you approach him in the context of you being in his electorate? Is that how you approached him? Yeah, it started off with a letter. I wrote Jason a letter when I was receiving junk mail in my letterbox about the federal election and phoned me when he said, you wrote me a letter instead of an email. And somehow that got his attention. He then uh, said that he would, you know, he he saw, uh, I I documented the decline in, in African lions and how it was imperative that a country like Australia pressure on the South African government to kind of clean up its act. So what happened over a period of time, I just started attending any event that Jason was hosting, it didn't matter what it was, because I just believed that he needed to know who I was as a person. And he said he couldn't do anything for me until he'd been elected. So he became elected. And then I went back to him and said, you said to come back and see you. He then uh, said, well, have you got any footage of this canned hunting that you, you speak of? And friends of mine in South Africa presented a, a 10-minute video. So I had a meeting with him and his staff, and that meeting, which I would expect if I would be lucky to get 15 minutes, was actually in his office for an hour and a half. And uh, from seeing the footage of, of what canned hunting is about and how abhorrent it is, Jason chose, even though it wasn't a local issue, that it was a moral one and he chose to take it on and has been fierce in his continued efforts with the government. I believe that uh, Greg Hunt had to consult the Trade Minister and also the Foreign Affairs Minister because of the trade implications and other things that might have been raised. And so this has been a very long and hard, <laughs> hard-working campaign. When was the time that you sent that letter to him? How long has this process been going on for? 18 months. So this is a really interesting case on how to lobby an MP. So I'd like you to just break down the steps uh, from the letter to, it sounds like you did a bit of stalking as well, turning <laughs> up where he was. Just to outline how you plan, did you plan all this beforehand? No, no. And again, this is where I talk about having guidance. I would, I don't know, maybe because I've got a corporate background and um, I just believed that I would, I, I kind of put myself in his shoes and thought, if I had a woman uh, kind of calling me, and you just think animal activists, okay, everybody immediately kind of can picture what a traditional, I don't know, you kind of just think, people ringing up about animal issues and, you know, usually we're the people at the back of the queue. So I just thought I would um, always be highly professional. Whenever Jason asked for information or for facts, I always made sure he had a return email within 24 hours. I attended events. Um, I would always dress well and attend these events and be highly, you know, polite. He would He introduced me one night to Malcolm Turnbull and, um, I, you know, if I was asked to talk about canned hunting, I would, but I wouldn't be there to kind of push the issue. I would just be there to be part of the group. And then um, over time, he realised that I, I suppose he thinks that I was quite sane. And, um, and like I said, I just kept a, a professional corporate kind of approach to something that is usually um, highly emotive and just kept it scientific factual 
and always I was always very pleasant to deal with. If, you know, Jason would sometimes ring me and he'd probably be in Canberra and it'd be 9 o'clock at night and I'd think, oh, crikey. But if he needed something, I'd get straight onto it and, and feed him back what he needed. So that's what I, I, I think having that level of attention, um, attention to detail, being always responsive, never whinging about anything, like always just giving and and just always supporting him. So when, like, bringing Ian Mickler to Australia was, um, I said to Jason that uh, if you need support in presenting this to Greg Hunt, and so I financed bringing, well, actually other, other groups then came on board and helped, but we brought Ian Mickler to Australia we presented taking the economist uh, Roderick Campbell as well, so that they, so the government had the facts, they had the science, they had the data they needed to be ma- be able to make informed decisions moving forward. Sorry, Ian Mickler is who again? Ian Mickler is a South African. He's an internationally respected and renowned conservationist. He works with groups like I4, Four Paws, Panthera. He uh, writes for National Geographic. Uh, He's an investigative journalist. And he had been involved in this kind of uh, the campaign against canned hunting for quite some time, yeah? Yeah, for 15, 20 years. Okay. He was the first one to discover the trade in lion bones. It sounds like you got politician on board here and you didn't do any of the cliched stuff that animal activists are known for. There wasn't any protests or anything like that. No, there was just the Global March for Lions rally, which I ran March last year and also this year. And so last year, Jason came along. I actually, Bruce Poon spoke at that first one. And I was very green then. I I had no idea about animal groups as such. I had approached a few to try and volunteer with them or ask them if they could help with what I wanted to address. And I got very little response. Nobody was really that interested in talking to me. So... That's why um, I decided to do the work on my own. Potentially a very interesting moral in that. that. Why do you think groups didn't come on board with you straight away? I think um, the experience that I've had personally is that, you know, whilst everybody has great intention of being able to volunteer or assist, there are very few who are dedicated enough to really put the hard yards in. And I think basically I imagine a lot of them would get phone calls daily from people saying, I'd love to give you a hand or how about we address this? And uh, you've got to be able to kind of pick through the people that uh, put their hands up, I think. And so, yeah, I just didn't have much response. I I really found in the early days a lot of people thought I was full of it, um, saying, and especially when I'd made contact with Jason Wood, they really didn't. There was a lot of, I suppose, um, cynicism about the fact that I was working with a member from the Liberal Party. So, yeah, I was really surprised, actually, because I I didn't, yeah, I I don't know why that was. And even now, like even last week, I phoned a few groups about uh, either coming along and supporting on Friday night, and mostly they didn't return my call. So (laughs) I've been lucky with my friends in South Africa connected me in with the group's four paws. And because of Ian Mickler's connection with I4, that's really the only two that have come in and supported me, as well as, you know, having the support of the Animal Justice Party. And I met you at an Animal Justice Party meeting. Are you yes. going to get more involved in the Animal Justice Party? I think so. Um, the 
thing for me, you know, I, I found too that I'm, I don't tolerate uh, infighting very well. I don't tolerate. So I, I tend to stay on the periphery of things. I, I suppose that's just a personal piece for me. I prefer to just get on with the job. And I, yeah, Rory, that will be an interesting thing to see how that kind of transpires. But with the upcoming elections, I must say I'm very keen to support them in going up against the Fishers and Shooters Party. Because in Victoria at the moment, we're about to have the start of the duck shooting season. And it's the cynical part of me points out that we've got a ban on this import of uh, animal carcasses of animals that have been shot overseas and yet a duck shooting season has just been announced. It is easier to point out the faults with others or sometimes affect things that are going on in other countries than look at your own, I think, yes? Well, Roy, I think the thing that's important here too is that if we're going to be doing this, then we need to now look at cleaning up our own backyard. And believe me, canned hunting exists in Victoria. There are private farms in the Gippsland that farm Samba deer and do exactly the same thing. They uh, will amp up a hunter and say, and I think the, the, the fee is something like $10,000 for hunters to come from the Middle East and the U.S., and they get out there and they say to them, you know what, we haven't seen a deer out here for so long, we can't guarantee a kill. And some poor Bambi then gets placed in a paddock and then lo and behold they come across this animal and say, oh, my God, your lucky day, there you go. Similar sort of thing. So I agree with you. I think um, it's imperative that we keep working on Australian issues I think that now that the government has uh, made this piece is that there, you know, we've got a long way to go. We've got so many animal issues. And one of the things I keep saying to people is contact your local MP. Please ask them where animals are on their agenda. Tell them that you'll only vote for them if they have animal issues. Or, again, support the Animal Justice Party. I just took a moment to look on Wikipedia about Sambadia. And I found that they're particularly concerned as they threaten to cause some plant species to become extinct in Victoria. (laughs) And they've been listed as a threat to biodiversity under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act because of their negative impact. And yet these deer are being bred in Mm -hmm. Victoria. This is Mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. So, Donnelly, how do you think you became so successful when you were new to animal activism? Um, I really think it was because I was so naive. I uh, really had no experience in any animal welfare or activism roles before. And because I was so passionate about doing what I could for Africa's lions, I really uh, took guidance from a couple of people but really just made it up as I went along. So I think that process and not having an outline or an expectation or any kind of preconceived ideas gave me the kind of courage to seek out people like Jason Wood. And that's, I think, where the difference lies. That's very interesting. In fact, as for myself, when I began, I was very optimistic. And I think it's important to remember that optimism. Yeah, and I, I think with that too is that I found a crack 
in the process where most people would go to the Greens or to Labor, and I know I know that now from being part of the Animal Justice Party, um, but beforehand I had no idea. So I just approached my local member without any preconceived kind of ideas and no idea that the Liberal Party were not where anybody else would have normally targeted. So I think I kind of found something new in amongst it and not thinking of the Liberal Party as a as a block, just thinking about the individual people and approaching my local um, member. And, it, well, it seems that in this case it really did pay off. Yeah, yes, yes, and that was my Bella saying, what do you say, Bella? <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Okay, see you then. Thanks, Roy. See you, bye. You're listening to Freedom of Species, Animal Activism on the Airwaves on 3CR Radio 855 AM. That was an interview with Donnelly Patman, who runs the group For the Love of Wildlife, which was instrumental in the ban on the importation of lion body parts. And that ban's been announced now by the Environment Minister, Greg Hunt. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Hey Jodie, I'm so excited, I just can't hide it. Oh, just in the words of the Pointer Sisters, hey? Why? What's happening? The new 3CR t-shirts are coming out. We had a competition, Kate Reid won it, and it's so beautiful. It's got roses and a love heart, and then the caption is... Resistance is fertile. Oh, too deadly that, eh? So in order to get one, go to the 3CR website and follow the link to shop. And there's $30. $30? Oh, what a bargain. And $25 for kids. You'll be able to secure one for yourself because they're in hot demand. Yay, get one now. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. And we've got some international news coming up next, the first one of which directly concerns today's interview. This is from the website takepart.com. And some unfortunate news. Two endangered black rhinos just became hunting trophies thanks to the US government. Conservation groups have slammed the decision to allow big game hunters to bring back dead rhinos from a hunt in Namibia. The federal government on Tuesday approved the bringing of two of the world's remaining 5,000 black rhinoceroses to the United States dead. And this was dated the 26th of March 2015. Big game hunter Corey Knowlton received permission from the US Fisheries and Wildlife Service to import as a trophy a critical endangered black rhino he plans to kill in Namibia. At an auction held last year by the Dallas Safari Club, Knowlton paid $350,000 for a permit issued by the Namibian government to hunt a black rhino. The agency did not identify the other permit holder. What moved the Fisheries and Wildlife Service to encourage this killing? Well, the two hunting permits will generate a total of $550,000 for wildlife conservation and anti-poaching efforts in Namibia. And the United States citizens make a disproportionately large number, large share of foreign hunters who book trophy hunts in Africa. But this, of course, is opposed by many groups. A spokesman for the African Wildlife Foundation, 
Kathleen Garrigan said, In this day and age, sport hunting of any critically endangered species, especially a species that is seeing massive rises in poaching incidents, cannot be supported. Bit of dreadful news. Other news, this has come from the Daily Mail in the UK, 11th of March. Outrageous animals tortured in gruesome Porton Down military experiments. For those that don't know, Porton Down is the UK's military establishment for chemical warfare. Outrage campaigners have uncovered the extent of gruesome military experiments on animals in Britain. Thousands of creatures, including rabbits, guinea pigs and monkeys, have been subjected to what opponents have condemned as torture. In the past two years... For example, 34 marmoset monkeys were infected with a biothreat disease. 12 macaws were injected with TB. 14 pigs were forced to inhale mustard gas. 63 rats blasted in the eyes with the plastic bullets. 30 rabbits were put in clamps and heavy weights dropped on their legs. Dozens of mice were burned in their eyes with lasers. And 16 guinea pigs injected with nerve gas. These are just a small number of examples of the torture that goes on at Port and Down in the south of the UK. And we've got some community announcements before we sign off. And this has come from another of our team members. This is from Emma. And Emma has asked, please, that now the temperatures in Victoria are cooling and autumn's on its way, if people are starting to light their home hearth fires again, please can you check your chimney flues first, as birds may have nested there or there may be possums there. And it's also a good idea on these cool mornings, before you get into your car, to tap the bonnet, as many creatures may have found warmth near the engine and fallen asleep. So please look out for the little animals that may be nesting in your chimney or in your car engine compartment. I'll add that to my routine because I always check for huntsmen under the uh, sun shield so that... uh, There's not going to be the chance of one dropping on my lap while I'm driving. Two other bits of community announcements. Unfortunately, we currently have the Victorian duck shooting season going on. This disgraceful event, which, again, supported by the Labour government. The Coalition Against Duck Shooting is doing what it can to stop this awful practice. They need your help. Please support the Coalition Against Duck Shooting to stop the shooting of native wildlife in Victoria. Native water birds are being shot this morning and it's going to go on for weeks. So please do all you can to support the Coalition Against Duck Shooting, duck.org.au. And then next weekend, if you're able to get to Adelaide, please join the Coalition For the protection of racehorses, because we will be at Oak Bank Jumps Racing Festival next Saturday, Easter Saturday, and on the Monday, Easter Monday, protesting against jumps racing. Please support Coalition Against Duck Shooting and the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses. So thanks for listening. Next week, Kate Elliott is running the show. I'm not sure what she's got planned. We will go out with a song, Prairie, by Hawkwind. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.